Our sermon text is from 1 Peter chapter 1, not 3 through 9, sorry about that, 10 to 12. The, the words are right, just not the numbers. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was, predict- was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Before we explore this treasure of God's word, let's go to him in prayer, asking that he would open our hearts. God, we praise You that Christ came for us. That our King did not stay dead, but He rose from the grave, giving us hope, giving us victory, giving us knowledge and understanding, giving us Your Spirit. We pray that Spirit now would overwhelm us with His presence. To reveal to us His truth. To comfort us by His fellowship to encourage us by His promises. We ask these things confident that you hear them because of the work of our Savior Christ. Amen. First, I just need to thank you guys for showing up the morning after a blizzard. You ever hear those stories of people in like distant lands who say, I walked for three hours to get to church to be with fellowship with God's people and then three hours to get back home and wow, what dedication. And now I get to see that right before my eyes. You brothers and sisters are such an encouragement to me to say, I want to hear from the Lord Jesus. I don't care if it's 20 below outside. I'm going to be there. One of the most sinister and effective strategies of an oppressor is that they try to manipulate their victims with a threat of isolation. They win by making you think you're alone. A kidnapper makes you think that nobody's coming for you. An abuser makes you think nobody else could love you. An oppressive government tries to convince you that you're all alone as just an empty face out in the crowd. Nobody cares what you have to say. Satan is a master of this oppressive strategy. He tries to make you think that your suffering is for nothing, that God doesn't care for you. You're the only person who's ever experienced this. He whispers in your ear, nobody else can understand. There's no way out. You might as well just give in to find some cheap thrill right now because there's nothing better out there for you. The lies of Satan 
are so tricky. And he, even depending on where you're at in your walk with Christ, he, he might give you the exact opposite information. Kevin Binkley likes to tell us that before you're a Christian, Satan tells you, you're good enough. You're fine. Everything is good in your life. And then after you become a Christian, you're not good enough. Nobody loves you. You don't fit in here with these people. You are all alone. But they are all lies. We need to let the Word of God have the primary influence in our hearts. And Peter's Word through the Holy Spirit today in this letter tells us that in Christ we are part of the greatest movement in the history of the world. We are part of the the most powerful kingdom that ever existed. We are more loved than we ever knew possible. We stand in solidarity with saints throughout history and all over the world. You are not alone. If you are in Christ today, you are in a privileged position of having a full revelation of God's salvation. You have His Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And you are surrounded by saints who are filled with that same Spirit. You are not alone. And this is the heart behind our text for today. Our main point from these three verses is that the salvation the prophets foretold was to serve you. Today, you in this room, God spoke to His people throughout all of history to give them just hints of a greater experience with Him if you're in Christ. All of history working towards this culmination of the life of Christ and your life in Him. You are not alone. You're actually in a cosmically, historically privileged position. So we'll see how Peter makes this point just in these three verses. In verses 10 and 11, we'll look at the prophet's fervent hope, what they saw, what they understood, but yet how they longed for a greater, more powerful, exciting experience. And in verse 12, Peter tells us that everything they knew wasn't for their benefit, but for ours, for our salvation, for our privileged salvation. Remember, as we've just begun this book, this uh, journey through the book of First Peter, that this letter is written to be an encouragement to help you endure in faithfulness, to keep your eyes on Christ, to keep you steadfast through those seasons of suffering that our Lord Jesus promised would come. So leading up to these verses, the first meaty section of the text last week, we had a reminder of our great salvation in Christ, which Jake explained last week. He said, That in Christ we are born into a new family, promised a resurrection where we will be resurrected, given a new life, a new body to receive an eternal inheritance. This promise fills us with joy and hope that helps us endure in the most difficult circumstances because we know that that future salvation is secure. It's guaranteed, held firm by our Father's powerful hand. And that should be incredibly encouraging news to help you endure. Yet sometimes, doesn't it just feel like it's so far away? Sometimes it feels like you're on the journey to that heavenly home all by yourself. 
You feel like you're the only person in the world, in all of history, trying to make your way along this path. It would be easier if we had someone cheering us on, calling us forward, pushing us from behind. So Peter takes this wonderfully encouraging news of our salvation and if it's at all possible, he ramps it up to give you greater confidence that all of history's eyes are on you. Sitting here in John Adams Middle School, the world, heaven is watching. So let's see how he begins to explain this prophet's fervent hope in verses 10 to 11. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ that was in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So this salvation that Peter talked about in the previous section, the one that is supposed to give us confidence to endure, was something the prophets knew all about. They, they talked about it. They proclaimed it. They tried to tell the people, trust God. He's got all these promises. But they didn't fully understand it themselves. We often take for granted that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose from the dead, as though it's just kind of old news. It's old hat. Big deal. But as they prophesied about this grace that is yours, they searched and inquired carefully. They couldn't figure out how it all fit together. The Holy Spirit moved in them to help them proclaim this message. Gave them just enough information to tell the people, repent, turn away from your godlessness, follow God, trust in His promises. And then someone might ask, well, what are those promises? Well, it's this and this. I can't really explain how it works. How would God accomplish these promises? It's a lot easier to endure when you know what it is you're aiming at, right? What what your goal is. Okay, I can just keep my eyes on that and try to block all this out. They didn't have that ability. They searched and inquired carefully, meaning they took all the information they had, previous prophets, what they had spoken, written, what God was giving them now, they laid it out on their table and went, I don't know how this is going to work. They asked a lot of questions with eagerness to understand. They wanted to know, but they were confused. Specifically, verse 11 says they couldn't figure out the circumstances of how all these promises of salvation would come together at one moment in one person for a new kingdom of people. Who would be the person to bring it about? Who would be the people that get to enjoy this salvation? When is this going to happen? When they read their Scriptures, they they saw it as this big puzzle. They had a bunch of pieces of the puzzle, but it's like all the pieces came from different boxes. They didn't have the whole image. They they didn't see the picture to see how they would all line up. The, The shapes of the pieces didn't match. Because on the one hand, verse 11 tells us, they foresaw the sufferings of Christ. Psalm 22 speaks of the Messiah being forsaken, beaten, mocked. Isaiah 53 tells us He'll be crushed, bruised, marred beyond recognition. Zechariah 12 
He'll be pierced, killed, the hope of Israel snuffed out. But on the other hand, what about all these glorious promises that were supposed to follow when the Messiah came? Isaiah 65 talked about this great new heavens and new earth where everything is made brand new. Almost every one of the prophets talks about a new Jerusalem with a throne where this Messiah will reign in peace and righteousness forever. How can He die and live forever? How does this suffering and this glory fit together? Peter says, the Spirit worked in them to give them pieces of this information, but not the the full picture. They didn't have the cover of the puzzle box to look at to help figure out how they went together. But someday, there was going to be a people who could see it, who knew how it all worked, who got the full image. The Holy Spirit has been working since the beginning of time through all history to bring us to this promised age of understanding. Working in the lives of people all over the world to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment and give you full understanding of what He was promising. Your Christian experience isn't some accidental byproduct of what God was doing for Israel. It is the whole plan and purpose. Israel was meant to call you to serve you to bring you to Christ. All of the prophets look forward to this time when Christ came and the life of a believer would be a life of understanding who He is. And verse 12 says, that day is now. Today. You are the people in this enviable position of spiritual knowledge of salvation. In Christ, you know how the puzzle fits together. So Peter, in verse 12, encourages us by emphasizing your privileged salvation. He writes that it was revealed to them, the the prophets, the ones who had the Holy Spirit telling them these amazing things. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that have been now announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Oftentimes we think that if our circumstances were different, then life would be better. It's the grass is greener mentality, right? We think, who would want to be in my position? Those other guys on the other side of the mountain, they've got it better. If only this, if only that, then I wouldn't be suffering. Then I wouldn't be afraid. Then I could put up with everything else in life. And that's the attitude that we have when we open up the Bible then. We read through the Old Testament, the first three quarters of this book, and we think, wow, what a life they had. Isn't it incredible? God worked in these powerful ways, parting the Red Sea, felling the walls of Jericho, toppling that giant Goliath, giving specific instruction to Moses and many of the prophets. We look around at our lives and go, Where is that God? Why isn't He working in my life like that? I want what they had. But Peter's telling us, no! He's flipping it around saying, they want what you have. They longed 
for just a peaceful, ordinary life filled by the Spirit to have fellowship with faithful believers just like you. Peter writes at the beginning of verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. They wanted to be in your position. It's we who are on this side of the cross who finally have the full picture of what this salvation that they prophesied about was. We have the cover to the puzzle box. Jesus was the perfect man, the righteous King that they longed to see. But He suffered just as they expected, but not figuring out how it worked. He suffered and died a brutal death on the cross, being killed, buried in the grave for three days, forsaken by His heavenly Father. But He also conquered death. Death could not hold the Son of God down. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding, pleading on your behalf. God, Father, help them. Give them the glories that You have given Me. Peter says these things have been announced, explained to you through those who preach the good news to you. Preach the good news in Greek is just one word, meaning evangelized. Told the Gospel. Proclaimed the Gospel. He's saying that the entire story of the Old Testament was fulfilled in, culminated in, now finally makes sense. The whole picture is that of Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Unlike the prophets, we can see it. Jesus is the image that all of history was building toward. The prophets knew there was something more. He says it was revealed to them that they wouldn't understand, but some others would. They knew someone else would come along far later that would understand it. That's why we can't just go to the text and simply understand the grammar and the history, the historical context, and say that's all there is to know there. Because they knew the grammar and the historical context better than we did. And they still knew there was more to it. Who would these people be that would get to look back and say, wow, look what God did throughout history. But there's even more to your privileged salvation than just having the full picture of Christ. Even more incredibly, you're able to understand it, enjoy it, live in it in a rather ordinary way because of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven to live in you. Verse 11 told us that the Spirit came upon them, those prophets, to give them some indications of this salvation. But He didn't give them full understanding. If you've turned away from sin, hate that former life, and you say, Lord Jesus, take control. I'm all yours. Give me a new identity. He will by giving you His Holy Spirit. He fills you with His own Spirit. When Jesus ascended into heaven, He sent back His Spirit in order to help you understand His Word, unlike the prophets. To help you rejoice in the Lord always, even through your great suffering and trials. To help you endure And not only is the Spirit in you individually, but in all the people who profess Christ around you. The word you 
shows up four times in just these three verses. And every time, it's plural. He's not just talking to you individually and you individually, but you as a body. You have the Holy Spirit walking with you, guiding you. In the Old Testament, there were only a few people who really got to experience this Spirit. The Spirit would come down on them, enable them for a task, they would do it, and then the Spirit would depart. Just a temporary experience. They longed for the day when the Spirit would stay with them forever and give them full understanding. And now you get that experience. The Spirit will never leave you or forsake you. The Spirit guides you in understanding. And He walks with you through other people in your life. So we treat the Gospel and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit kind of like old hat. It's not that big of a deal. We read the Bible and we think, when do we get to the good stuff? Like what the Old Testament people got to experience. Or, okay, I get the Gospel now. When do we get to the stuff that's more relevant to my life? As though we don't understand that the Gospel is the only relevant truth for our lives. We are just so familiar with it that we don't realize its importance. We're like fish in the water, living and breathing by the very stuff that we don't even realize exists. We're immersed in it and supported by it. This is the ordinary life that the prophets longed for. A life in fellowship with others, daily bread, and the Holy Spirit guiding us to rejoice in the Lord always. You are in a privileged position. But not only do the prophets look at your position in envy, my goodness, the angels of heaven, Peter says, even stoop down in wonder, trying to comprehend what in the world is happening right here in this cafeteria. Are you kidding me? As humans, not angels, were made in the image of God. We were made to have a relationship with the God of the universe. Intimate, personal interaction with God, unlike what the angels get to have. So Peter writes in his next letter, in 2 Peter, that in Christ you become a partaker of the divine nature. That Holy Spirit that dwelled with God the Father and God the Son for all eternity now dwells in you? In this cafeteria right now? What? The angels are trying to figure this out. Because they spent their whole existence looking at God and praising Him for how amazing He is. The angels, the first beings created, stood over creation as God spoke it into existence and they sang with joy. Look at how beautiful this is and how powerful God is. Those angels that surrounded the throne of God in Isaiah 6 crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Those angels that wiped out vast armies, the the host of heaven, they are called. The angels that announced the arrival of the Messiah. Filling the sky with glory, singing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. The angels that will execute God's judgment at the end of all things. Those angels 
for a moment, take their eyes off the throne room of God and look down here. They stoop down and wonder, what is God doing with them? Setting up residence in them. Sitting in chairs with them. The word translated long to look is kind of a strange one. It's the same word that's used of Mary when she arrives at the empty tomb. And she has to kind of stoop down and look what's going on. Uh, this can't be happening. What's going on? I've heard rumors he might be alive. That not No, there's no way this can be happening. It's a word that means trying to satisfy your curiosity and put all the intellectual pieces together. What is going on? Could this be true? The angels have spent their entire existence looking at God, saying, glory, glory to you alone. And now you've put that glory inside of people. Wow. Doesn't make any sense. We are nobodies. We're ordinary. We're going to eat a potluck meal after this and eat regular food and the Holy Spirit is pleased to be with us. We don't have some grand prophetic experience like the prophets did. We don't, we aren't immersed in inapproachable light sitting on a glorious throne. Worthy to be praised. Who are we that the Holy Spirit should give us understanding and joy and endurance unlike anyone has ever experienced? This is the salvation that God has given you in Christ. You're not alone on this journey. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12 that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The list of Old Testament saints that are heroes in chapter 11, they've got nothing on you if you are in Christ. The prophets and heroes of old long to understand and experience Christ in the same way that you do. To have the Holy Spirit in fellowship with them. The angels marvel at this. All of history is watching, cheering you on. You are in a privileged position. You understand the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories because that's your salvation story. Jesus died on a cross, the, the worst moment in history, the most evil event in history also ushered in the greatest spiritual experience imaginable. You, you can be certain that your suffering then, if you are in Christ, is working in you the same eternal weight of glory. With this new understanding, Peter says you can endure anything. Because you are in a privileged position in history and in the universe. The question is, what are you going to do with this privilege? The prophets and angels don't have what you have. What are you going to do with this unique experience? Let me finish up with just four things from these verses that should mark our lives in Christ. First thing, Stop wishing you had a different life. Seems kind of obvious. We still have this grass is greener on the other side mentality. We need to abandon that and see that you are in a privileged position in Christ. That this Holy Spirit has been working for all of history to bring you to this place, this time, right now. 
to help you face your circumstances with joy so that you can represent Christ in this city. When you say you wish you had something else, you wish you were somewhere else, you wish you were somebody else, you're telling God that He doesn't know what He's doing. That Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. That His Holy Spirit is kind of an okay gift, but not that great. Rejoice in your privileged position in Christ. Second, if the prophets searched and inquired carefully, the angels longed to look with wonder and curiosity. They didn't even have the Spirit. How much more should we dig into this Word every page and taking the pieces that they couldn't put together and snapping them together, putting that image together and looking at Christ and marveling. Look how it fits. It's beautiful. If you want to live with contentment in this life, if you want to endure the sufferings that He brings your way, gather those pieces together and put them into the picture of Christ. You'll find it much easier to endure with the truth of God's Word stored up in your hearts, fit together into a beautiful image that you can keep looking at no matter how dark your circumstances get. Every time you read the Bible and you see, wow, that points to Jesus' life. Oh my goodness, that's predicting His death. Oh my goodness, here we are, resurrected with Him in a new heavens and a new earth. It fills your heart with, with joy that He is working in you. Do what the prophets couldn't do. Search and inquire carefully and unearth these rich treasures in Christ. Third, how does Peter say that you came to know this beautiful truth? Someone, in verse 12, he says, who was filled with the Holy Spirit announced it to you. They pre preached this good news to you. So shouldn't we go and do likewise? You have this gift of the Holy Spirit that never runs out. You have an eternal inheritance Riches beyond imagination that can never be exhausted. It is utter selfishness to say, I'm going to keep that for myself. Why wouldn't you want others to enjoy it? We have this great privilege. Let's share it. Privilege isn't a bad thing. Unless you hoard it. We have this debate in our culture over the last few years about privilege. Some deny it exists. Oh, don't talk about that. Nobody has that kind of privilege. Others say, yeah, I have privilege. You're right, but I'm going to check it at the door. Why? Why would you want to get rid of it? The point of these gifts is to go to others who don't have it and pull them up with you and say, come, enjoy this privilege with me. Take the gifts, the treasures that God has given you and share them with the world especially this treasure of salvation in Christ. Go announce it to your neighbors, your friends, your family. Tell them that Jesus left His privilege to come down and rescue us in order that we would be carried back with Him into His divine privilege. Finally, the whole point of this book, with all this privilege, be confident in Christ to endure your trials through this ordinary life. 
You're not alone. God is with you. The prophets and angels are watching you. You're surrounded by others walking with you. The last few weeks at Redemption City Church, I've had many conversations with you that have made life nearly unbearable. We all weep together this week with Pastor Jake and Rachel. But we endure together. Confident. Because we see, I see God at work in you and in you and in you in the way you talk to one another in the way you come through a blizzard to get to church. In the way you love one another and meet in community together. God is at work. Look around you. Listen to His words. And be certain He will bring you home. The Apostle John wrote at the end of his Gospel, in the end of his first letter, that he's writing these things so that you may know and believe. Peter is writing these things so you may know and endure. You are not alone. The prophets and angels are watching over you. The Holy Spirit is working in you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are walking with you so that you may endure until your future salvation. Let's pray. Cut. We see that the whole world is watching. The whole universe is watching what happens right here today. Seeing how we will receive this Holy Spirit and go share His treasures with the world. Would You convict each one of us and encourage each one of us to go and share, to open our mouths in boldness, to open our homes in hospitality, to share our treasures in confidence of Your provision, knowing that that salvation is waiting for us. And when we cross the Jordan into the celestial city, oh God, all the prophets and the angels will be rejoicing as we enter into our heavenly rest. I thank You for this hope. Help us endure. For the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.